you, Jesus. Let's raise our hands together. Worship the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a place to get pumped up and excited. We need a place of encouragement and lifting, and the church is that place. The power of our togetherness, we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. How many of you enjoyed the worship so far today? One word, one word about worship before you're seated. Always remember this as a Christian. Always remember this. Let it become your reality. We do not, in case you're brand new here, we don't want to send the wrong message. We are not happy and jumping around and our hands in the air because we're so perfect and we're so worthy and we've lived so good. It's the opposite. We are here today because God is so worthy. He is so good. We are not. Just lock that in. So, so if you wake up one Sunday morning and you're hungover, this is where you belong. You made a mistake Saturday night. You were with some people you shouldn't have been with doing things you shouldn't have done. Get up and go to church. Don't, don't, continue, don't continue to play into the devil's hands. Well, now I'm really not worthy. You weren't worthy before you did it. All right? Okay, you may be seated. You may be seated. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, musicians. Uh, we want to welcome all of, all of you here today. Thank you for being here. Uh, if you've never seen me before, me before, I'm Pastor Joe of Covenant Church Lake Havasu. Uh, we greet you today. My wife is preaching in our church today. I'm here. By invitation, uh, we honor your lead pastor, Pastor Landon Merrill and Emily Merrill. We're very thankful for their invitation to be here. And we enjoy having your pastor coming to our church, and so we thank the Lord for that. And again, welcome all of our online members, those of you that are watching from home. I was here last Sunday, and we talked about worship. We talked about worship. Worship in its clearest definition is ascribing worth to God. Whatever these musicians do, whatever the singers do, it's great talent and all that is wonderful, but don't be intimidated by it. It's not a concert for you just to say, wow, they sing so good, I'll just enjoy this. Be careful you don't fall into that because that's not the goal. The goal is for you to engage yourself and whatever that looks like, whether it's quietly, overtly, you clap your hands, you don't clap your hands, whatever you're doing, let your life be your worship. Let your body worship whatever it's doing. And all you're doing is ascribing worth to God. That is the goal. Worship should never attract attention to yourself. It should always attract attention to God. How worthy God is. Thank the Lord. And so uh, the first service, I just rattled through this. They got the abbreviated version. Uh, if you're here, you're going to get the full message today on this service. <laughs> Because we can take our time. I hope. How many ate breakfast before you came? Seven. Seven people ate something. So the only thing between you and lunch is me. <laughs> Your belly's full of caffeine and sugar. Well, that should be enough. Uh, my assignment, uh, Ali said, this is what you got to preach on. We're, you know, a conflict 
and forgiveness and working through this together, together's your theme. And so I'm going to try to attempt that today, and I'm going to deal with the big picture thinking. I'm going to deal with a foundation uh, that other speakers can build on. I'm going to deal with the issue of why do we even have conflict? Why is there conflict in the human relationship? And give you three tools to work through conflict within yourself and with others. So, uh, and even to see the beauty in conflict. How many of you are the type of personality, kind of like me, you try to avoid conflict? Because there's nothing pretty about it. Okay, there's that percentage of the church, and then there's the percentage of, no, I like conflict, I go head on. That's my son and some of you guys, my wife is that way. They love conflict, so I just give them. Here's the people, here's the room. Tell me how it turns out. I'm going home. I'm going to go swim in the pool. And, and they just love to work things out. They're just, they're just hashers out. Uh, me, I like to uh, not do that. Uh, but I've learned, I, I've learned, Wendell, to see the beauty in the conflict that the reason that there's conflict at all, it means that we're in relationship. That there's obviously a relationship, working relationship, you're in the same cubicle, you work in the same office, you have family, you're connected, you're friends, you're in church, whatever. It means there's some relate. So if, if you're going to have a relationship, you will have what they call conflict. So let's read a couple of scriptures, Hosea chapter 4 and verse 4 in the New Living Translation. I like this one to go back and forth between the NIV or the New King James. Hosea 4, 4 says, don't point your finger at someone else and try to pass the blame. Very good point when it comes to relationships and resolving conflicts together. And now let's go to the New Testament. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus speaks very direct. He gets right to the point. So uh, how many of you appreciate people that speak direct? Like, tell me exactly what you mean. Don't, don't dance around and, and leave me guessing. Right, so Jesus is that way. So don't get offended at these words of Jesus because they can be, you can easily get offended in some of his verbiage. He says this in Luke chapter 4, I mean Luke, Luke chapter 6, 41. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me help you take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? Now, this is where he gets offensive. You hypocrite. In other words, he just says it like it is. Be careful as a Christian that you're not a hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye. Work on yourself, and then you'll see clearly, uh, if invited, I should add, to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Um, I, I think in this teaching, we must begin here. If, as a Christian, here's, this is paramount, that you must be getting your life your value, your self-worth, my self-esteem, my value as a man doesn't come, it, doesn't, it shouldn't come to you because you're the richest person in the church or you have the biggest house. Even though we appreciate our house and our truck and our money, and if you have a degree or if you have two degrees, all of that is important, but don't suck life out of something that was never designed for you to suck life out of. That should not become your identity. Those are this added benefits in your life that are there. 
Our identity, who you are, when your feet hit the floor in the morning, I am a child of God, my Father loves me, all this other stuff is extra, I am the best, I am the well, you know, I'm well kept, God has t- takes care of me as any child on the street, he watches over me all night, He with me in the morning, he'll be with me today, that is my source, that is my center, that is my identity, not I'm in charge. See, it says right here, I'm the boss. Don't let that be the source of where you get life and value from because that can be taken away. And then who are you? Always make sure that Christ, we're getting life. He is our identity. My wife has this thing. If you're in a relationship and you break up and now you're a little broken, be careful. Don't rush into another relationship because my wife says, you know, uh, two broken people have a tendency to be attracted to each other. Um, and, so, and so she says this, um, you know, two broken people don't make a whole. It just means you have twice as many problems. And so that's not what you want. You, that's not what you want. You want your wholeness and you want to wait till that shalom of God comes on your heart and you are completely whole again. And when we try to suck life out of, of who we are in materialism, I have the biggest house on the street. I call that bottom feeders. Now we're trying to get life and identity by what we have and what we bought in materialism and or, or, or our emotional health by how many likes we have on social media and things. I I strongly teach against that, and I highly recommend you get a life outside of the likes. Uh, And all of this happened. Where did this all happen? All began with our original parents. It is the reason why everything is wrong in the world. When God said, this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I don't want you to eat of it because you don't have the ability to totally love somebody and judge somebody at the same time. So God says, I want you to reserve me the right to decide in your life socially, sexually, morally, whatever, uh, financially. I want to be the final decision on what is good and evil in your life. Culture can't give you that. The government can't give you that. Teachers and professors can't teach you that. I want to be the final say on what is good and bad in your life, and you don't have the ability to judge that. I think we should go to God with every relationship. Is this relationship good or is this evil in my life? Is this decision good or is it bad in my life? So God always wanted that to be his role in our life. I can always tell preachers and pastors and teachers when they've been nibbling on that tree, that forbidden tree again, because their messages are very judgmental and finger pointing. God never wanted us to judge another human being but wanted us to reserve that for him. He is the final say. In fact, even the word judgment, it means to separate. It comes from a Hebrew word, uh, krino, or a Greek word, krino, uh, which means critic. It's where we get our word critic. And so if you're a movie critic, they say, now this is good for uh, uh, children, and this movie is not good for, for children. So, so they separate it. They make a judgment. This, 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 this uh, thing is good for adults. This is not good for adults. And so they separate things are okay. That's also discernment and judgment where God gives you authority to say, this is a good thing in my life. This is not a good thing in my life. This is a good place for us to live. This is not a safe place for us to live. Or how many has ever gone to purchase something and you prayed before? How many has ever seen stuff look really good on paper? 
and then you forgot to pray about it, and you're like, this is the worst thing we've ever done. I wish we never had bought this. Oh, we should have asked the Lord first. And so, yes, is this a good purchase for my life, or is, am I going to resent this purchase? And so God gives us the favor and the okay to judge things, but never to judge people. It all began there. God wanted that final place. And so it can be used in two ways, people or things. Uh, we are allowed one opinion and one opinion only of every person that we ever see in our life. Black or white, no matter what color they are, or what religion they are, and if they're a Muslim, if they are Afghanistan, if they're Chinese, North Koreans, if they are Taliban, if they are the enemy or they are friend. We are allowed one opinion and one opinion only that we are to ascribe to them unsurpassable love and worth. And they and they alone are worthy of the cross of Christ. That is the only opinion. There are too many pulpits and too many Christians who are like, let's kill the enemy. No, no, we're supposed to die for the enemy. This is a different way of thinking. Jesus could have vanquished the enemy. He doesn't need our help. Jesus didn't come to, to kill his enemies. He came to die for his enemies at the hand of his enemies. That is why it's so, it's so amazing love that we have been given, that we are to go and do the same, that we are to go and do likewise. So here's the root. Are you ready? How does conflict happen at all? Conflict happens because you are in a relationship. If I pray, Lord, I don't want any conflict in my life, you'll end up living alone with your cat. You, <laughs> Sometimes my house gets real lively. We have, grand, we have uh, nine grandchildren already. We have one great-grandchild. We have a large family. And the other day, it, got just, it was just me and my sheepdog in my house. And I thought, wow, isn't this nice and peaceful? And then about the evening time, I'm calling everybody. I'm like, this is not what I like. I got no one to talk to. I like the peace, but only for like a couple hours. I don't like to be, I'm not built to be alone. And my sheepdog's not helping. He's supposed to be my emotional support. Uh, there's an old saying. Uh, so if, if conflict happens, it happens because you're in a relationship. So thank God that you have a relationship because that's why you have conflict. Um, there's an old saying, now understanding the person that you have conflict with, there's an old saying that says the map is not the territory. How many of you have ever heard that in psychology? Okay, here's an example. We've got some pictures on the screen, and tell me what you see when this first picture pops up. What is that, the United States? Would it be okay for me to say, that is not the United States, Right? Right, the territory, the map is not the territory. Even though, even though you are correct, that is the United States, but it's one step away from the real, right, dirt and the, the real part. So this is what I'm getting at here. So let's show another picture. Tell me what's the first thing. What is that? What is it? Is it okay if I say that is not a cat? Right? What's the next picture? What is that? Okay, is it okay if we say, but it's really not the Statue of Liberty. It's the image of it. It's our picture of it. It's what's in our mind. It's what now it's really in our mind. So this is what it means. And, and if we show the next picture, I think, 
what is that? It's a, it's a, it's a car. But is that, is that really a car? And so that's what it means when we say what we think about the world is not really the world. And what you think about an event may not be accurate. It may not be trial or, or real. So sometimes when we say this is the world, this is my life, it's like me thinking about a camel. I can think about a camel right now, and I say camel because one time we were in Maryland and I, there were beside the road it says ride a camel. And so what do you do? You pull off and you pay the 20 bucks and you ride the camel. And I can, so I can feel the camel, how it walks. It's really odd and how it sways and, and the size of it, how high I was. I can even recall the smell and the feeling of the camel underneath of us and how it kneels down for you to get off. So my synapses are firing right now of me seeing the camel in my mind and even the smells and the noises, the grunt sound it makes and the spitting sound, and all of that are associated as if a camel was standing right in front of me. My synapses are firing as if it's right in front of me, but it's not. It's just the, my experience with a camel is now my image and my experience of what the world really is. So why is this important? Because emotions give meaning to the information that's happening around us and what we're looking at. We tend to interpret what we're seeing more than what we see because of our past experience. Lack of riding a camel or not, I have a different experience when I say the word camel than you do if you've never ridden a camel or never been near a camel. You just remember one on a movie. So association, past experiences, present experiences, all add up into what's really going on. Your brain is busy decoding and interpreting the, the event that's happening right in front of you. We have triggers that happen to us when we see things in our mind. We can look at the same thing and get a different uh, result. Let's show us another picture. The next picture, let's show the police car. How many of you, your blood pressure just went up like and your heart started racing? I got to pay that ticket I forgot about. Or how many of you, that picture produces a little anxiety? How many of you, when you see a police car, you slowly reach over and grab that seatbelt and you're looking and click and you kind of wave and everything's okay? How many of you, uh, when you see a police car, how about when a police car pops up behind you in your rearview mirror and he's right, and when you take a left, it takes a left. And then when you take a right, it takes a right. And you're like, uh-oh, I don't like this experience. And how many of you like me, this is, what, <laughs> this is what I used to do a lot. I would pull into someone else's driveway. I'd be like, okay, I'm home. I don't know where you're going. Go in, put it in park, shut the car off, open the door, boom, he goes by. Why did I do that? Because that picture behind me did not give me a good feeling. Why? I don't know. Maybe the last time I got pulled over. Maybe it was the time. How many of you, when that picture came on the screen, you remember the last time you got cuffed up? Maybe you were in the back seat, and you're like, oh, this is not a good feeling. I don't want anyone to know that. Why is that happening? Let's show the next picture. We can be looking at the same thing and experience. Oh, let's say that for a minute. So we could, the point is you can look at the same thing and have a totally different experience. 
Some of you, when you saw the police car, you thought of a loved one that's a police officer. And you thought of, oh, I just love the thought of the police circling our neighborhoods while I'm sleeping and I feel, I feel comfortable and I, 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 I feel better. Now let's do a little Rorsch, a Rorschach test here. Rorschach test. Um, what do you see when you see that? Just, just let a, a bat. What else do you see? Anything? A mask. Yeah, definitely. And, and what's the point of the, the, the Rorschach test? There's no right answers. All it does is tell us a little something about you. You tell on your, what's the next picture? Oh, what do you see here? Yeah, lions. That's what I saw. Lions and birds and a bug. Look deeper, look closer. You'll see something else. What? What do you see there? <laughs> I see a circus. I see clouds. Is that the last picture? Or do we have another one? Oh, what do you see there? <laughs> Too many movies, not enough university education. Tells me something about people. The point is there is no right answer. It just tells you we're looking at the same thing and we're seeing different things. How can that be? It's because we tend to project what's on the inside of us onto the event and the thing that's happening to us. If you're full of insecurity and you're full of fear and you're full of worry, the world's going to end tomorrow, that's the way you see the world. But that's not really the way the world is. So whatever's on going on the inside of you adds to the conflict and trying to come to some kind of peaceful resolution. And here's the point. You're like, let, let's get back to church. What's the point of all this? Isn't everything a Warshak test? Isn't every event, isn't every thing, the marriage, the relationship, the girl you're dating, the, the life you're living, your kids, your job, isn't everything a Warshak test? That you are having the same experience as somebody else and you see it totally different than someone else because of who you are, your past, your emotions, your hurt, your damage, your lack of damage, your, the way you were raised, the way you wasn't raised, all adds into your view of a thing. I can tell you about two different people that I pastor. One believes the world's going to end tomorrow and it's never been this ugly and they're worried and they're pessimistic and they can't even see straight and they stay up all night and they have to have sleeping pills. They live on the same street as another guy that's in our church and he floats in his pool every evening and says, we have never had it so good, Pastor Joe. I don't know why he's worrying himself to death. I love my life. And they, they live on the same street. They go to the same church. And yet they see the world totally different because of what's going on on the inside. Same experience, two different things. We don't always see things the same way. That's why relationships are so difficult. Last week I said, you know, you've heard preachers say, I'd rather have relationship over religion, not me. Give me my Ten Commandments. That's easy. Try to live with the same man or woman for 40 years. That is hard. <laughs> that is work. Compromise. Been married 42 years. Work. 
compromise. It comes with preferences. Everyone has their way of doing things. So relationships equals communication, and that is why things are difficult. How many has ever, how many has ever said something and somebody took it totally the opposite? Let, let's do a little he said, she said. He said, she hears, or she said, he hears. Here's an example. He says, oh, you got your hair done today. She hears, he hates my haircut. She says, what is that smell? He hears, I need to take a shower. He says, honey, you're eating chips? She hears, you're going to get fat. (laughs) She says, Jesus isn't a Republican. He hears, Jesus is a Democrat. That is not what's said, but we interpret and decode everything that we're hearing. I, I, I use this example, I, I, as a pastor, you know, you're going through things on Sunday morning, there's a hundred different moving parts, and you're trying to get things together, sometimes I'm very focused on different things, and I'll walk right past, you know, brother so-and-so, and, and brother so-and-so, it, it, it never fails, goes to my wife, or to someone says, is Pastor Joe mad at me? I'm not mad at anybody, I'm just focused, I'm working, I'm driven, I've I've got a goal, so if I ignore you, please forgive me, or if I forget your name, but don't interpret it that I'm angry. Sometimes I get loud, and I get excited, and I I really want to stress the point, and some people go home, and they're like on Facebook, boy, Pastor Joe was really mad this morning at somebody. I'm not mad at anybody. It's just that when this particular woman or this man, when I get loud, They think, oh, when a man gets loud, he must be angry because that's the way they were raised. Not at all. That's not the way it happens. Let me give you three tools to help resolve uh, conflicts when they arise in your life. Number one, this is really important, check your ego daily. Don't get value, self-worth. Don't get all puffed up on your rightness. You understand what I say when I, when, I, when I say that? Don't let it become your identity. Um, my information, I'm just going to say this to make sure you're listening, is more writer <laughs> than anyone else's. And anyone that disagrees with me, they're stupid. How many ever met people like that? Your ways and your beliefs about whatever, doctrine or the pandemic, are more superior than everyone else. And if anyone else disagrees with you, God help them. Because your rightness has become your identity. I'm writing a new message on the culture of correctness. And it's such a cancer. And this culture of correctness keeps us from doing great things together. This culture of correctness is if you don't agree with me, then you're on that side and I'm over on this side and you're stupid and I'm smarter and superior than you are. It's such a cancer. Uh, The pandemic has brought out many things that we have learned from looking back over the last uh, 18 months to two years. This is what I've learned. I have seen the lack of grace Uh, what I call um, adults lacking emotional maturity, acting like children. 
on their rightness about, let's, let's just pick a subject uh, that was a big thing, mask or no mask. Oh, that was a big one. You're, you're stupid if you don't wear one, and you're stupid if you do wear one. That was the choices I had. And it was, it was an insult to my intelligence. I hope it was yours also, and to your maturity, that somewhere in the middle must be the truth. But, but what happened is, I, I look back on it, and this is, you know, our, this should always be our approach as humans, is that um, this is what I think, this is what I believe, this is my plan, but I could be wrong. Isn't that a better way to enter into a relationship with a woman or a man or to with uh, relatives and family and friends or other churches or society or governments or people of different political parties? This is what I think, so this is how we're going to live, but I could be wrong. I, I, I really, I'm not a microbiologist, so I'm not going to act like one. You ever see those people, they're right on everything, and when the pandemic came out, all of a sudden they're talking like they have a PhD in microbiology. And all, like, where did you get your information? I read it off the internet, it must be right. And so what happened was this, this is why I say check your ego as a Christian, or whatever leader you are, or business owner, because what happened is, as I was debating these issues, whether mask or no mask, vaccine or no vaccine, or, or gathering or no gathering, it, it didn't matter. After a while, I realized, like, we're not discussing the issue anymore, are we? Because their, their correctness and their rightness became their identity, and when I challenged the issue, I was challenging their identity. Then I realized there's no winning that argument. Because if they end up being wrong, they put their whole identity on their rightness. Who are they going to be? There's, there's no humility. So is it okay when I say check your ego? Maybe that's why Paul says die daily. You ever met someone who's right on every issue? You got that person in your family? Like all we could do is call so-and-so because they're right on everything. They are very hard to live with. Be careful uh, that you don't invite them to every party because they will soon blow it up if you leave them there long enough. Um, being right becomes more valuable than, than you are. People walked out of good churches because they thought their rightness was more important than me and you and the church. Toxic, childish, lack of grace, um, and so what happens is they're projecting. They're, they're projecting their, what, what happened is they, they get on an issue and they believe it. It doesn't matter if it's a doctrine or a revelation or whatever it is or the pandemic. They, they think they're absolutely right on it and they actually worship their, their own way of thinking. It becomes an idol to them and we threaten their idol when we don't agree with them. Jesus said it this way. I read the scripture. He said, how can you help somebody who's got this little issue when you walking around like this? Man, there's a lot of wood in this church. This church smells like wood, looks like wood. I don't know about this place. Whole world looks too much wood in this world. I don't know what's going on. How many of those people like that? All they see is what's in them. 
Jesus said, if you go through life like this, how are you going to be able to help anybody if you're full of fear, all you're going to see is fear. If you're full of worry, all you're going to see is worry. If you're full of, if you don't trust yourself, you're never going to trust anyone. Deal with the issues on the inside will resolve a lot of conflict. And divorce yourself from being right. Be humble in your conversations. Be humble in your conversations. So let's move on. What's number two? Number two, speak in a straight line. How many knows that Jesus taught this? Uh, no double talk, right? Remember Jesus called them hypocrites, like don't be a hypocrite. What does that mean? I know exactly what he means when he says that. He said, let your yes be yes. You know be no. Don't double talk. Don't make everyone decode what you're really saying. Here's an example. A bunch of girls get together. I'm going to pick on the girls first, then I'll pick on the guys. But a couple of your girlfriends, let's say three or four, get together. They know you're working. You don't have a lot of time off or whatever. You don't have a long lunch hour, whatever. They all go have a mani-pedi during lunch hour. They come back to the office, and here you are, mani-pedi-less. And they're all coming in happy and fresh. And you say, what? Must be nice to go in the middle of the day and have a mani-pedi. That's double talk. Tell us what you really want. Would you like to have a mani-pedi in the middle of the day? Because that can be arranged. Bunch of men get together, they have some money, they have time more than you do, they go off on an elaborate hunting trip, they all come back with pictures, they're blowing up social media, you meet them in church, say, must be nice to take two weeks off and $10,000 and go on a great hunting trip. What are you trying to say? Would you like to go on a hunting trip? Because we can arrange that too. You come to church, somebody has, must be nice, worship leader, have another brand new pair of shoes every Sunday. I can't believe it. There's a shoe fetish in this place. Everybody has a new pair of shoes every Sunday. What you're really saying is, those are really cool. I wish I could have a new pair of shoes. We can arrange that. Talk in a straight line. Say exactly what you want. Say it. How many of you were raised in sarcasm house, a house with double talk? Marriages are complicated. Don't screw up your marriage by having to decode everything. We got some scriptures. Ephesians chapter 4 says, stop lying to each other. Tell the truth. We are part of each other. And when we lie to each other, we're hurting ourselves. If you're angry, don't sin by nursing your grudge. Don't let the sun go down when you're still angry. Get over it quickly. For when you're angry, you give a mighty foothold to the devil. Truth means uncover. Tell how you really feel. I would love to do that. Can we go on a vacation like that? Can you, can you arrange so I can have a treatment like that? Don't put duplicity into your marriage. Double talk. Um... Marriages are difficult. Marriages suffer conflict. Um, don't go to bed angry. It, it, it means don't go to uh, bed with anger um, pushed down in your heart. It turns into bitterness. 
So we've got to be careful that we don't do that. Uh, let's move on. The, uh, that Greek word is submerged. That's what, that, that's what the word is. When you take anger and you go to bed, you submerge it. And then in the morning, it turns into bitterness. And so clear the air in your marriage before you go to bed. Say, you know, that really hurt me. I'm not saying this to hurt you. But when you didn't respond, it offended me. And I don't want to go to bed angry at you. Because when I wake up, then I'm going to be bitter at you. And you're not even going to know why. And this is what happens in a marriage. It's usually not big things. It's these little teeny things. And like this. This is how bad it can get in the morning. Good morning, honey. I wonder what he means by that. That's how off you can get. Oh, my hair must look crazy or I, maybe my breast smell. You're decoding and trying to read into everything. And so let your yes be yes. 1 Corinthians 13 and verse 7 says, if you love someone, you'll be loyal to them no matter what the cost. You'll always believe in them, always expect the best, or give them the benefit of the doubt. And always stand your ground defending them. Number three, um, embrace the messiness of relationships. Big churches like this or mid-sized churches like this are like big families. They're messy. You, know, you come to church, you think you're going to do this, and then all of a sudden Allie says, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to do this, this, and this. And you're like, where'd that come from? That's not the plan. Well, it's, churches are like big families. They're messy. And sometimes you'll sing the solo, and then sometimes it'll be taken away from you. How are you going to deal with that? How, how are you going to be able to work through? Because sometimes your map is not the territory. It's how you're seeing it. There was a major disagreement in the early church, a major, major disagreement. Can you imagine your identity being a Jewish person with keeping the commandments, not ever working on the Sabbath, not even picking up sticks, and that is part of your identity. And then Paul comes and just blows it all up like it doesn't even matter anymore. Then these Jewish people, people like you, are coming into us. This guy's never kept the Sabbath in his life. He can't even quote the Ten Commandments, let alone live by them. It's offensive to Jewish people because righteousness is part of doing right where everyone can see. And it was a big, big, big problem. It was messy. And when you read Acts chapter 15, they debate it and they debate it and there's conflict and watch how the answer comes. The answer comes like this. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay no greater burden of the Jewish laws on you except don't eat meat that's been offered to idols in the market. That, that's offensive. Don't eat um, meat from strangled animals. Make sure they drain all the blood. We think that's a healthy way to eat. And no more sleeping around. Okay, Gentiles, I know this is new for you, but no more sleeping around, fornication. And if you do that, you'll do really well. Now watch this. This was major church-splitting stuff. But the conflict was resolved because notice the verbiage. This seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Okay, this is what we think. This is what you think. Now let's pray.
Now let's just pray. Let's take an hour. Let's take a week. We'll come back. And when we come back, come with humility and an ear for the Holy Spirit. And this is what the Holy Spirit worked out. In other words, the Holy Spirit's not afraid of conflict and messiness in a church or disagreements in a family. Let the Holy Spirit work in the conflict. And you'll come up with an even better answer than you could on your own. There are times in our family when I've said, listen, I am tired. It's late. This is not a good time for you to ask me my opinion about what you're doing. We'll wait and we'll get, we'll bring this up tomorrow. I, I have to be rested. I can't be short of sleep. And I can't be short-tempered because I'll be like a bull in a china closet. I mean, I can fix it, but it'll be ugly. How many knows what I'm talking about? So what am I doing? I'm giving the Holy Spirit time to deal with me in my lack of rest. I'm tired. The world is pulling out of me more than I can deliver. Family can suck the life out of you things in life, but I've got to give the Holy Spirit time. Work through this conflict, this turmoil, and we can be able to say it seemed good to the Holy Spirit to do this and not that. We can do it together if we work together and wait on the Holy Spirit. Amen? Let's stand together. I want to pray for you as a church. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just lay down our ego. We check it at the door. My identity is not in my title. It's not in my last name. It's not in how much money I have or how big my house is or how many degrees that I have. That's not who I am. I am your child. You are my father. We are your family. And we are here to do life together. As one, we fight as one, we pray as one. We lose together and we win together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. What an incredible word, Pastor Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Let's give it up for the word. That's awesome. Just direct, you know, we can apply this as soon as we walk out of this place today. Uh, I'm so looking forward to resolving all the conflict. I mean, I don't have conflict in my life, but I'm looking forward to resolving it all. But uh, we've got a challenge for you this week based directly on this message. We've got a challenge for you this week because we're all in relationship and we're all dealing with conflict on a daily basis. We've got relationships in our families. We've got relationships with our coworkers. We've got relationships right here in this church. And as you're going through and, and you're dealing with conflict and you're having these relationships, we want you to take a picture after the conflict, okay? After the con, I, when you're smiling, all right? We want you to take a picture and we want you to post it and we want you to tag Bridge Church, okay? At wearebridge.church. And so that you can show the relationship, the amazing things that are going on in your life right now and, and tag Bridge Church. It's awesome.
All right. What, what a great Sunday. What a great Sunday. And, and Josh, I love your shoes. Those are good. You got a great shoe game. But before we leave today, uh, we're going to read this bridge declaration that's up on the screen. So if you'll join me in this declaration, I am a bridge builder. This is my season of favor. I am blessed to live my best. I will choose to love him first. I will worship fully, love deeply, and my community will thrive because I am grateful. I am a carrier of peace. I will represent God's gentleness to myself and others. I will live out his gospel. I am blessed to live my best because I am a bridge builder. Have a great week, Bridge Church. We are so glad that you joined us today. If you made a spiritual decision today, whether that be dedicating your life to Christ for the first time or rededicating your life to Christ, email us at info at wearebridge.church and let us know you made that spiritual decision. Also, if you are joining our Bridge Church online family for the very first time, we have a special gift for you. Email us at info at wearebridge.church to share some information so we can get that gift out to you. We're so happy that you joined us today and we can't wait to see you soon. Make sure to stay connected because we are so much better together.